Welcome back to Brain Ablaze, a weekly podcast about epilepsy, by epileptics, for epileptics, and our caretakers. I'm your host, David Clifford. In this episode, we will talk about concussions and traumatic brain injuries and explore their link to epilepsy. If you're new to Brain Ablaze, I just want to state that I'm not a medical expert. I'm just someone that has struggled with the ins and outs of epilepsy for almost three decades. In the weeks following George Floyd's killing, the protests that originally started here in the United States have extended throughout many countries in the world. I was appalled when I recently saw a video of a New York City police officer during a protest grab a woman and throw her to the ground. I was originally skeptical of reports regarding how the woman hit her head on the curb during the fall and later had a seizure on the way to the hospital. I immediately assumed it was a flourish that so many people like to add to their social media story to heighten the drama to their cause. I quickly realized that I was falling into a trap, of which I find myself often. My experience with concussions and traumatic brain injury was different than hers, so hers can't be true, right? Wrong! Try again, dumbass! I decided to invest my time into learning more about traumatic brain injuries and their link between seizures. According to one 2016 article, quote, traumatic brain injury is a prevalent public health problem with an annual incidence of more than 2.5 million in the United States, of which approximately 12% result in hospitalization or death, end quote. The more severe the trauma, the more likely one is to develop seizures. Seizures after a traumatic brain injury are called post-traumatic seizures, or PTS. As you can imagine, multiple instances of PTS can lead to post-traumatic epilepsy, or PTE. My own experience with traumatic brain injury is a car accident when I was 15 years old. Though we'll never know for sure, my current doctors and I theorized this accident actually caused the lesion that was later removed during my resection surgery in 2017. In 1990, I suggested that my mother drive me to get supplies I needed for some after-school activities in which I was involved. And where do you go in 1990 to buy stuff? That's right. My mother and I got into our 1987 metallic gray Toyota Camry and headed out across town to the huge mall. I jumped in the front passenger seat while my mother drove, but we quickly hit a major hurdle along the way, the first major rain of the year. I should say that I grew up in a suburb of San Diego, California, here in the United States. In San Diego, just like the rest of Southern California, it gets very little rain. It might rain only several times a year, when it falls, people stop like turkeys to look into the sky, contemplating what could possibly be happening. In the car, my five foot four tall mother grumbled that we were even leaving in this light rain as she reluctantly enabled the windshield wiper on the lowest setting. Though the rain was light, tepid drivers caused the traffic to crawl about 45 miles an hour. As we hit the long downhill section close to the mall, suddenly the sky opened up. For lack of better words, it started pissing rain. The windshield became impossible to see through. It felt like we were sitting in the car while driving through an automated car wash. We instantly slowed down to less than 25 miles an hour. As my mother took her eyes away from the road to search for the windshield wiper setting, a car in the lane immediate left of us suddenly came speeding past us at over 60 miles an hour. Seemingly unaware that everyone else was braking, drivers slammed on their brakes. For me, 
time slowed down. In Southern California, during the months of no rain, hundreds of thousands of cars drip motor oil to leave large black swaths down the center of each lane in the expansive Southern Californian highways. On the first big rain of the year, the water mixes with the oil to provide a slick drive, slow slippery, it can compare with any ice-laden street at the top of the Rockies Mountains. When his speeding car hit this oil mixture, the driver started to lose control. The back of his car fishtailed right, and he overcompensated, and the driver pulled their car right into our lane. It was obvious that my mother had nowhere to go. In her panic, she performed the only thing of which she could think. She took her right hand off the wheel and created a mom seatbelt to protect me. our Toyota hitting the back of the driver's car caused our car to spin 405 degrees. Our car ended up perpendicular to traffic with the passenger side exposed to oncoming cars. After our car came to rest, I looked over to my mom and she looked back and we were both fine. In fact, we started to chuckle and then suddenly the white of my mother's eyes became as big as saucers as she looked past me through the passenger window. I immediately turned to see a big late model Cadillac barreling down on our car. On me. A late model Cadillac in 2020 means something completely different than a late model Cadillac in 1990. This car was huge. You could tell the driver was standing on the brake pedal. I turned my head a split second before the crash. The frame of the car buckled and hit me on the right side of my head, right where the doctors found lesion almost 27 years later. I instantly lost consciousness. When I awoke, I was still sitting in the passenger seat of the car. My first thought was, Is my mom okay? My second thought was, Holy crap, where is my mom? You see, my mother wasn't in the driver's seat. I looked out my window to watch a family of four in a compact sedan inching past our car, goosenecking but not actually stopping to help. I was in no pain. In fact, I hadn't even realized I had been hit. I undid my seatbelt to find my mother. During the impact, the back of her chair and her lap belt broke. In the days before cell phones, well, any cell phones that anyone wanted to be caught using, I was stuck in the car. I knew my mother was hurt and I frantically thought, what the hell am I supposed to do? I'm just a kid. Help arrived in droves. At least three paramedic teams arrived at the same time. The crew, for my mother and me, were extremely calm, collected, and helpful. They asked if I was okay, and I genuinely answered, yeah, I'm okay. Even when they pointed out that I was bleeding from my right ear, I answered, I'm fine. Just help my mom. About 20 minutes later, I sat in a nearby hospital waiting for any word regarding my mother. The emergency room staff wouldn't allow me in, suggesting that because of my age, 
I would just get in the way. My pain crept in slowly. First, a scratch on the palm of my hand I had noticed. Then the muscles of my neck started to throb. After about 15 minutes, I realized that the muscles of my back were locking up. After 30 minutes, I was in pain everywhere. Looking back, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, mistakes of my life was not to seek treatment when I started to realize this pain. I don't have an excuse other than the fact that I was 15 years old and I thought that I was staying strong for my mom who was hurt. If I asked for help, she would not only have to worry about her own injuries, but my own. I was naive. 30 years of hindsight gives you clarity to any situation. I was still in shock when I arrived at the hospital, and when I realized I was safe and started to relax, only did I realize my injuries. This leads us to one of the major problems with estimating how relevant concussions and traumatic brain injuries are to epilepsy. We cannot just easily estimate it, as the correlation of brain injuries to epilepsy is sometimes weeks, months, or even years down the road. The percentage of TBI patients who develop PTE is not known. A published article in Epilepsia stated, quote, It is estimated that TBI is an etiological factor in up to 20% of symptomatic epilepsies in the general population, end quote. An exhaustive study of concussions in players of Australian rules football in the early 2000s shows that in one out of 70 concussion instances, the person will have an immediate reaction resulting in what is called a concussive seizure. The basic categorization of post-traumatic seizures is how long after the trauma the seizures occurred. Unfortunately, the research community hasn't adopted a universal nomenclature. One will see different research describing different categories, but we will use immediate to represent less than 24 hours after the trauma, early, where it's 24 hours to a week, or late, after a week. About 8.9% of people will have a seizure immediately following a traumatic brain injury. New PTS incidents were 9.2%, and late PTS cumulative incidents from injury to one year was 11.9%, and it went all the way up to 20.5% by year 5. One population-based study estimated that 86% of patients with one seizure occurring at least one week after a traumatic brain injury had a seizure within two years. In my case, my seizure was only six months after the car accident. Because I didn't get help that day in the hospital, I spent years in an uphill battle convincing doctors that my seizures were in fact real and caused by damage to my head. But that is a whole different story for another time. The notion that one should wear a helmet when riding in a car is, of course, outlandish. But there are steps that you can take to reduce the chances of concussions or traumatic brain injuries. On BrainyBlaze.com, we've included a link to the list of preventative measures that the CDC suggests to take. The full list includes, but is not limited to, buckling up for every drive, never driving under the influence, Wearing a helmet or headgear when you or your children play any sports that have contact or contain a risk of falling. Prevent falls of the older population. And making playgrounds safer for children. Ultimately, my suggestion is that after a large knock to the noggin, one finds treatment immediately. Unfortunately, a new video has just come out that has recently showed police officers pushing an old man down to the ground where he knocks his head and bleeds profusely. So, if you're going to demonstrate 
please get out and protect yourself. We would love to hear any of your comments or questions regarding this or any of our other episodes. You can reach out to us via email at social at or on Twitter at Brain Ablaze. And if you like this episode, consider subscribing or even helping us out by providing a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your content. One small click really does help. See you next time.